Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. Welcome to another webinar hosted by founder of EveryMind, Paul McGregor. In this episode, we discuss social anxiety, how to recognize it, and how to address it. Paul shares some powerful insights on the tools he has used and his own personal experiences. At the end of the session, some of the participants also share some great tips. If you like these episodes and our podcast and you're wondering how you can give back, leave us a review on iTunes and make sure you share with a friend. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another webinar. So Tuesday, I always get confused in the days, Tuesday at 1pm webinar. This is obviously for the EveryMind users, but also just for the general public in terms of managing your mental health during these difficult periods. So just before we start, and today's session is going to be about managing social anxiety. I had a couple of emails myself about how do you manage a social anxiety, especially during this time. I think it is certainly heightened. I'm going to be sharing my personal experience of social anxiety on this call as well. And, and as always, I open up the floor for you guys to share your own personal experiences as well. But before we do that, I just want to get a, a kind of you know check to make sure that you can all hear me and see me okay. So just let me know in the chat box if you can hear me and you can see me okay. We've got Caroline, we've got Helen, we've got Katie, we've got Kelly. Kelly, I'll be coming back to your email today as well. We've got Nancy, good to see you, Nancy. Pia, Romana, good stuff. So it's really, really good to see you all again on this webinar today. No worries, no worries, no worries. And and this is a topic that, you know, it is something that I've spoken about before. And maybe I'll speak about it in more detail in today's webinar because I've never spoken about it on a, on a whole webinar. But I do believe that social anxiety is is something that can affect us all. But if not, it can affect the people around us. And with social anxiety in general, there's a real misconception of social anxiety. But at the same time, there's a real pressure of, of those people that might be dealing with social anxiety. So, you know, how many times on, a, on an occasion has maybe someone close to you been struggling with social anxiety and they've not come to an event or they've not come to a birthday or maybe it's someone that you're, you know, your spouse or a family member and they're saying, I can't come here tonight, you know, for this reason, this reason. And it almost puts us in a position that we get frustrated and we get annoyed because we want to go to that social event and we want them to come to the social event with us. And there's a huge amount of judgment on people that obviously, you know, manage and deal with social anxiety as well. So it's really a big topic to speak about. And, and like I say, I'm going to be sharing a couple of tips in this in this webinar, but I also open the floor up to you guys in terms of, of, of you um, sharing your own experiences too. There's also some content within the app itself around social anxiety that's being created by our head of psychology, Dr. Lauren Callahan, which obviously goes into it in a more sort of clinical um, approach as well. So in terms of what we're going to be looking at in today's webinar, it really is the biggest mistake people make with social anxiety. I'm going to talk about that, which will be the end bomb. We've actually got five tips to help, not four tips. So ignore that second step. We've got five tips to help. And then my personal experience and your experience too, if, if you want to share as well. So before we jump in, as, as always, I'm Paul, the founder of Every Mind at Work. I'm a mental health campaigner. I share my own personal experience of sadly losing my dad to suicide when I was 18 years old and, and the depression, the anxiety and the mental health challenges that came after that. And, and I talk about that quite openly now in the aim of helping others, in the aim of helping others that, that might be suffering in silence and to try and normalize mental health as a whole. But always, um, it's great to kind of hear a little bit more about you as well, guys. So how's your week been? Let's start there. How's your week been? Let me know in the chat box how your week has been. 
Katie knows what's coming. She says, it's been a very concerning week. I live in Blackburn. Uh, massive COVID-19 outbreak now, and I don't even want to leave the house right now, even though I've had a test and it came back negative. Yeah, it's, it's been a challenging week, especially in the States. I've been, I've been hearing a lot about, you know, in the, in the US, lots of different states closing down again. You know, other countries are closing down again. You know, we've got obviously Leicester, um, Blackburn. Have they closed down again? I'm not sure. But like you say, there's, there was a, an article that I was reading about the areas that have the biggest outbreaks. And I was reading that obviously with some, you know, it's, it's difficult when you read that. You're looking at the county that you live in and, and obviously it creates a lot of uncertainty and, and, and um, negativity as well. So, Katie, I'm sure you're not on your own with that of, of being of struggling this week of the uncertainty and not sure what's going to be happening over the next couple of weeks as well who else how's your week been guys um i had a really relaxing weekend actually which was nice um my two boys one of them turned 11 on friday and then the other one turned four on saturday so um my wife actually went into labor with my with our youngest just after our eldest's birthday party four years ago and um, so I had Friday off, I had Saturday off, and then I had Sunday off to recover from the exhaustion of two birthdays, two, um, you know, family sort of coming around while social distancing. And and I haven't really been in that environment for a long time. And, and being more of an introvert, it definitely is exhausting. And blowing up loads of balloons is exhausting as well. Um, Helen says, five-year-old has just finished reception and had his year one introduction. So summer holidays here now. Helen, how, how does that make you feel? Is that something that you're looking forward to or there's a bit of sort of you know apprehension around it as well because you don't really know what these summer holidays are going to look like as well you know i'm sure summer holidays it's about taking kids out and and engaging with them and going out freely and doing more stuff but there's obviously a lot of apprehension around doing that at the moment as well caroline's had a good week which is great Kate says yesterday it was confirmed that we're now top our levels are higher than leicester we have two on monday 27th july then the lockdown measures will be taken back one by one yeah, there's a lot, a lot of uncertainty. But the main thing is, guys, the, the, the focus of these webinars is is to give you that safe space. But at the same time, know that it's OK, right? Know that it's OK to talk about how you're feeling, maybe, you know, struggling to deal with the uncertainty. It's OK. And and we're only doing our best. And, and I know, Katie, you've been joining these webinars for a long time now and you've got through every single challenge so far. Right. So there, there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to face this challenge that you're you're facing at the moment as well. Uh, Helen says she's looking forward to it, but trying to work out at the same time, as you say, trying to keep entertained as we come out of lockdown will be interesting. Yeah, that's very, very difficult, Helen. So really kind of good to hear from, from all of you. And, and again, if you do want to share at any time, just use the chat box during this, this, this webinar. So in terms of social anxiety, social anxiety is typically a long-term and overwhelming fear of social situations. So it can obviously be described in many ways, but that's the general kind of, you know, description of social anxiety, overwhelming fear of social situations. Now, social anxiety as a term for me is, is, is huge, right? You know, if we're looking at that of overwhelming fear of social situations, it's for me, and we'll talk about it more in, in just a moment, it's about finding out what's individual to us and where we experience that social anxiety. So it's the same with anxiety. The way that I see it is, is you can call anxiety and you can talk about anxiety, but everyone's anxiety is very individual. So what I mean by that is my triggers for my anxiety could be different to yours. Um, you know, what helps my anxiety could be very different to yours. But of course, when we're looking at maybe like a broken arm, for example, you know, I always compare it to the broken arm. 
it might break in very different ways, but our recovery will be very similar. Our treatment will be very similar. I'll wear a cast and all of the people in the office will sign it. And so will they sign your cast. And, and it's, there's a lot of similarities there. But when it comes to anxiety, social anxiety, it's, of course, you know, very, very different. So when it comes to obviously looking at social anxiety, I think it's important to know what is your personal experience and what are you feeling social anx- socially anxious about right now? Um, you know, a good fram- family friend of ours, you know, really struggling with the social anxiety around COVID-19, feeling like maybe they'll break the rules, feeling like maybe they'll break the guidelines, feeling like maybe they're getting too close to people and they'll contract that. And of course, you know, pass it on to loved ones around them. So, of course, that's a brand new form of social anxiety when, let's be honest, didn't exist maybe six months in, in that person's mind. Other times, you know, maybe getting a a morning commute on the train and how that looks. For some people, it's not an anxious situation. For them, for others, it can be very, very difficult. So I think before we dive in, we have to remember that, you know, social anxiety is very individual. It's completely different for everyone and everyone has their own personal experience. So on that note, guys, have any of you ever struggled with social anxiety? And and can you sort of pinpoint the, the situation that you really had a lot of overwhelming fear around as well? Romana says, I've been doing great. Children have social anxiety, how they remove social anxiety from their mind. And Romana, it's so difficult, right? And, and hopefully these tips might help you. And, and these are tips that you can suggest to them as well. Um, and I think, you know, when I was reading about it this morning, lots of sort of clinical professionals advise that it gets better with age. Now, you know, I don't know how much research has gone into that, but I know definitely as I've got older, I've, I've worried less about people's opinions. I've worried less about... Um, you know, what people think of me. So so I, I believe the younger we have all of those added pressures and social media really doesn't, you know, social media doesn't help there, right? Because obviously now with with, with youngsters and, and they're on social media, they're comparing themselves to, to, to other people and how they look and how they act and their lifestyle and, and what they're simply putting on social media, which is, of course, just a highlight reel. So, you know, social anxiety across the next generation, I'm sure is high. But Romana, hopefully the tips that we're going to be sharing um, might be something that you can advise as well. Katie says she used to have really bad social anxiety in university classes. I couldn't sit in a class for one hour. I would leave a few times. Caroline says, um, brought on by a medical condition, fearful of anywhere other than my own home in case I become unwell when I was outside of the home. So already, guys, you know, we're seeing two completely different experiences in different situations. So... I think, you know, that's so, so important when we're looking at this, because again, if, we, if we're not looking at it in an individual way and we're just taking this one size fits all approach is what we do with a lot of mental health problems, then, you know, we're not going to be able to find a solution. And I think, as I say, you know, social anxiety is completely different for us all. And there's so many different symptoms. It could be worried about everyday activities, you know, meeting strangers, starting conversations, speaking on the phone, working, shopping. For some people, you know, going out to to a shopping center is, is is something that they struggle with and they get, you know, a lot of fear around. For others, you know, imagine someone who doesn't have any social anxiety around going shopping and there someone is saying, you know, I really can't go shopping because of this reason and this reason. What's that person going to feel? You know, that person's going to say, what do you mean? You know, it's just shopping. You know, why can't you go shopping? And then, of course, this is where social anxiety becomes very difficult to to support others with it, because if we don't feel that socially social anxiety around that certain situation, we, of course, have a dramatic judgment on that person as well. Um, Avoiding or worrying about a lot of social activities, group conversations, not going to work events, you know, withdrawing ourselves from companies and parties, etc., 
Always worrying about doing something you think is embarrassing, blushing, sweating, appearing incompetent. There's loads there, again, that we can obviously look at. Sometimes it's finding it difficult to do things when others are watching. You may feel like you're being watched or judged all the time. Again, another form of social anxiety. Fear of being criticized, avoiding eye contact, having low self-esteem, having symptoms of feeling sick, sweating, trembling, pounding heartbeat, and having panic attacks as well. You know, panic attacks is that overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety. Panic attacks aren't a very nice experience. But at the same time, of course, you know, sometimes for a lot of people, those panic attacks happen out in social situations. You know, for some, it's it's that that anxiety that maybe you're sitting at home and worried about something that's happening and that panic attack comes on. For others, it really is about that anxiety around social situations. And panic attacks can be heightened when we're in that social situation as well, because, you know, I've been there before when I've had a panic attack and people are around me and then I'm worried about them judging me and I'm worried about them seeing me and it adds to the more, you know, fear and it adds to the, the panic attack as well. So so really there's there's lots of different symptoms of it as well. Janine says, I declined to go to my goddaughter's wedding abroad last year, which I felt and still feel terrible about because of social anxiety. Janine, on that situation, again, you know, it's we can feel terrible about these, but social anxiety isn't something that you can just snap out of, right? And I'm sure people might have put pressure on you during that period to just snap out of it and come on, it'll be fine. But at the same time, you know, you have to do what works for you. And and I'll talk about a strategy just in a minute about obviously sometimes facing that fear is sometimes the only way that we can tackle that social anxiety. But at the same time, we have to understand the social anxiety is, is an illness. It's a disorder. It's not something that you can just snap out of because of, you know, your goddaughter's wedding. Um, my mum, for example, my mum did struggle a lot with social anxiety and I got married in Italy and my mum was showing clear signs of, of being anxious around coming to Italy for the full week and, you know, being around people. You know, even though there was only 15 of us, all sort of, you know, some of Amy's family, friends that my mum knows, you could tell that her anxiety was 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 bad because of the fear of coming away for, for the whole week. So my mum plucked up the courage. She didn't want to miss her son get married. And I think, you know, that was the force for her to, to fly out on her own on the Tuesday, I believe she came out. We got married on the Thursday uh, and then she left on the Saturday. So she showed, no, on the Friday, actually, sorry. So she, um, you know, just only came out for a couple of nights. But that was her way of taking control of that situation in a way and taking control of that social anxiety as well. Um, Helen was very shy at secondary school, went to a private all girls school where most girls are extremely intelligent and outgoing. I started struggling to socialize during the school and realized probably had social anxiety. I used to overthink what I'd say when in groups and I ended up not saying anything and just smiling. I can relate to that, Helen. I'm sure a lot of people can as well. Girls used to tease me and often got left out of things in the end. Now I'm very sociable and love socializing with friends, but still worry and overthink. Helen, thank you for sharing with that. I really do appreciate that as well. And, and I'm sure as you've seen, I think it's very difficult when we're younger, when it comes to social anxiety, because if we, I think sometimes I remember I used to show off and I used to be sometimes, you know, loud, but actually inside I was really anxious and worried about what everyone was thinking about me and, and very insecure. And sometimes in those situations, those people that are loud and outgoing and, you know, the ones that are always joking around, we see them as sometimes, I don't know, being arrogant or being confident or being outgoing. But actually for them, sometimes a lot of that is their reaction to that social anxiety. And a lot of that is a reaction to their own insecurities as well. So it's good to hear, guys, that, you know, we're all sometimes, you know, in the same boat again, and we're all sort of dealing with this in, in our own ways. So the first sort of thing that we need to think about when it comes to social anxiety, in my experience, was worrying what people think and worrying about people's anxiety and worrying about people's opinions, sorry. 
And a big cause of social anxiety is the fear of other people's opinions. Now, there's lots here that we can unpack, and this could be a whole webinar on how do we not worry what people think of us. I do believe age comes into account. You know, as we get older, we almost don't worry as much as maybe when we were younger. I think we don't worry about status as much as we get older than maybe we do when we're younger. But at the same time, you know, we, we, we do worry about people's opinions. You know, how many times have you been in a meeting and you haven't said something that you want to say because you're worried that people might dismiss you or not really agree with your opinion? You know, how many times have you been out in a social event and you're really worried about, you know, how you're looking or how you're interacting and, and you know, you're worried about maybe you saying the wrong thing or you not being engaged in this conversation and, and being over here on your own? You know, how many times have you reached for your phone in a social situation because you feel uncomfortable? So many times we, we, we get in those situations because we worry about other people's opinions of us, right? And I do it all the time still, and I'm getting better at it. And I think this is the key thing about worrying what people think of us. It's a journey. It's a process. There's no magic switch that we can, you know, click. And, and all of a sudden, all of those fearful emotions around people's opinions disappear. You know, it isn't as easy as that. It's a process and we have to work at it. And for me, working at it meant uh, a couple of things. The first one was, was having more self-belief in myself. Now, what I mean by that is, is, is stepping away from all of this, stepping away from everyone's opinion and instead working on me, working on me and working on my own self-belief. Um, there's a book that I read, I shared it in a recent webinar called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. And, and that was a good book for me. Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Another one was called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth. And, and that's more about the ego and detachment from the ego. And again, I didn't read the book and all of a sudden a magic light appeared and all of a sudden everything was fine. I read the books and I started to understand a little bit more and I started to work on my own self-esteem and my own self-belief. And what I discovered was when I started to work on myself, take myself away from all of these situations and improve my self-esteem, it almost gave me a bit more ability to actually say, I'm not really worried about that person's opinion. Um, you know, and it, of course, was a process. And I think that's the first thing that I would advise to work on your work on yourself before we, you know, start looking at how do we deal with other people's opinions first. I think the other thing as well, and, and someone made it out to me and they called me out as a coach that I was working with. And they said to me, why do you worry what people think of you? And I was like, oh, this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason. And they said, are you actually that arrogant? that you believe that people think about you as much as you think that they do. And I'm like, mm, no, no, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not arrogant at all. You know, I'm actually quite insecure. I'm not very confident in all of this. And they said, so why are you spending all of that time coming up with scenarios in your head, saying that this person is thinking about you, saying this person is making an opinion of you, saying this person is talking about you to someone else, saying this person is judging you, saying this person is going home and then talking to their family about you and all of this. He was like, are you that important? And it, it actually, that was a bit more of a light bulb moment because I was like, no, no, I'm not that important. And he was like, everyone is worried about their own situation. Everyone is worried about their own mental health, their own um, challenges that they're dealing with, their own insecurities, you know, all of the time. So don't think that you're that important that they're judging you, that they're making that opinion of you, that you're telling yourself in your mind. And as I started to do more work around mental health, this become more clear as well. I would stand up in front of, you know, a company of maybe it's bankers, maybe it's people within the construction industry. And I would stand there and I would make a judgment of them. I'm like, wow, this isn't going to go well. That person over there is already rolling his eyes, you know, and he's not going to be interested in this topic at all. That person over there is looking at his phone. He's not interested in this topic at all. You know, what am I doing here? And my mind starts playing this loop of people are judging me. And then when I finished my presentation, 
And those people that I thought were judging me come over to me and they go, wow, you know, that was really powerful. Here's my story. And they start telling their story. I was like, wow, you know, everyone is a human. Everyone has their own mental health. Everyone has their own battles that they're worried about. You know, they could be sitting there on their phone, not because they're bored of what I'm about to say, but because they feel socially anxious around the situation. And the fact we're talking about mental health and the fact that they're worried that someone talking about mental health might trigger them and it might mean that they might get emotional during the talk and, and then they're going to worry about everyone's opinion around them too. So hopefully this makes sense, guys. You know, we have to worry, we have to remember that the average person has 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day and when we worry about people's opinions of us we're almost saying that they're spending about 50,000 of those thoughts on us well let's be honest you know it's, it's probably two or three they're not really thinking about us as much as that we think that we are and and when we eliminate that fear of other people's opinions it can really help us with social anxiety for me that was really a massive catalyst to to start dealing with um <clears throat> you know my own social anxiety that i was dealing with at the time the second one is to feel the fear and do it anyway. There's an amazing book by Susan Jeffries. Susan Jeffries or Susan Jeffers. I can't remember. Susan Jeffries, I think it is. Feel the fear and do it anyway is the title of the book. And on this note, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to just feel the fear and do it anyway. But a lot of the times when it comes to social anxiety, when we avoid it and when we avoid social situations, it can make people worse. So I know that when I jump into my comfort zone, when I jump into my comfort blanket and I say to myself, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, that doesn't make my personal social anxiety any better. It makes it worse because I'm doing this, delaying it, and it's making it worse because now I'm telling myself more situations in my head. What I've found personally is feel the fear and do it anyway. I remind myself of that. So I was actually a bit social anxious because I had to get on the train last week. And I was like, oh, what's it going to look like? Have I got to wear a mask? Am I going to get fined if I don't wear a mask? Or what? And all of these situations are playing in my mind. And for me, it was like, feel the fear and do it anyway. Like, just deal with those emotions. Like, they're going to be there. I can't make them disappear. It's acknowledge them, know that they're there, but still do it. Go ahead with it. And, and now I've done it. It was fine. You know, and it was it was okay. And I would do it again. Whereas if I didn't go to London because I was worried about it and I let those emotions take over, I would still be sitting here today more anxious about going on the train maybe next week. So, you know, it's very, very difficult. And and sometimes <clears throat> the way that I see it is, is, is there's two approaches to this. When we enter the water, say we're going into a pool, I'm sure some of you have done this. Some people like to take it slow. Some people like to go over to the stairs and they dip their toe in. Oh, it's cold. And then maybe they'll slowly go into the water, you know, one step at a time. Maybe they'll get up here and then they get down to the shoulders and then they'll go under completely. And they'll slowly, slowly do it. And sometimes that's the approach we need to take with social anxiety. Sometimes it's doing the small tasks to mount up to those bigger tasks that we're really worried about. But for others, they just like getting on the side, jumping in straight down, immerse themselves in that cold water. And now they're in, you know, so, so really it's finding what works for you. Um, public speaking was something that I was always very anxious about. And, and the way that I dealt with that was throwing myself in the deep end and agreeing to do a talk to 150 people on my first ever public speaking gig. And it was massively nerve wracking. I didn't sleep for weeks. You know, I struggled. I practiced, I practiced, I practiced. But dealing with it that way allowed me to develop and, and you know, get over that anxiety a lot quicker in my mind. But for others, like going to Toastmasters, doing little groups, maybe doing a presentation to two people, then five people, then 10 people, then 20 people, then 40 people, a webinar, mounting it up and mounting it up to then being able to talk to 150 people is, is the way that they'd like to do it. 
So really always remind ourselves, feel the fear and do it anyway, but do it in your own way as well. Um, Caroline says she found a graded exposure really useful, hard going, but it helped. Yeah, I agree. The other one as well is um, you don't have to do it alone. It's, it's a constant reminder here that we don't have to do it alone. Now, now, what I mean by this is this isn't something you have to face alone. You can talk to others about it. You can get other people to encourage you. So, for example, you know, if I was really, really worried about going on the train and it overtook and I wanted to do something about it, you know, I might reach out to one of my friends or I might reach out to, you know, James who works for me or, um, you know, maybe my wife if we could get the kids looked after. And I might say to them, hey, I really need to go to London. I really need to get on the train. I really need to overcome this social anxiety, but I don't think I can do it on my own. Is there any way that, um, you know, you can come with me? And, 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 you know, even me saying that, it makes me feel a little bit un, 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 on edge, but I also know it's the right thing to do, right? Asking for that help is the right thing to do and, and knowing that I'm not alone. And if I said that to any of my friends or James or my wife or anyone, you know, they wouldn't judge me for it. They wouldn't say, oh, come on, you know, you'll be fine. Just, just go on it on your own. If, if I asked, if I told them seriously how I was feeling and they would come with me, right? And that's, as you say, Caroline, that support network is so, so important. And, and it could be so many different people, but, but really knowing that you're not alone, knowing that you can rely on others and knowing that there's people to encourage you, knowing how you want to be supported and communicating that to them as well is really, really important. So for a lot of people, it's difficult because you don't know how you want to be supported. But at the same time, it's just being as open and honest as you possibly can with that person. So whether it's a spouse and the spouse wants to go out to a social event and you're really feeling anxious about it. And that spouse is like, come on, you'll be fine. Once we get there, it'll be fine. You know, you have a couple of drinks and everything will be okay. You know, you might want to sit them down and just say, look, but I am really struggling. You know, this isn't as easy as just going there and having a couple of drinks. You know, you're not going to understand it, but I need you to show a bit of compassion for it as well. You know, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling this way. And and kind of trying to explain it to them of how you're feeling and then say, look, I want to go and I don't want to let you down. But at the same time, you know, is it okay if, if we go a little bit earlier or is it okay that when we go there, maybe for the first hour, you kind of, you know, you stay with me for a little bit and then, you know, I'll let you know, I acknowledge you when, when I feel comfortable um, for, you know, to, to go off and, and speak to everyone else as well. So a lot of times, you know, you have to make some sort of changes and you have to make some adjustments, but also hopefully those people within your support network will make those adjustments to help you as well. And hopefully just from people sharing their experiences just on this small little webinar, guys, you've seen that, you know, you're definitely not alone during this time. The fourth one for me is so, so important. It's celebrate your wins, however small. And, and this, you know, is, is important for social anxiety, but at the same time, I think it's important for just mental health in general, right? You know, I look at it when I was, when I was at my lowest, really struggling with depression. And I, I didn't really know it was depression at that time, but I was at my lowest. I was constantly comparing that pull to the old pool. And what I mean by that is I would just get myself in that negative loop of beating myself up because I would say, God, you know, I'm really struggling here, but I need to get back to the old me. So what I need to do is I need to go for a 5k run, or I need to go to the gym and do an hour's workout, or I need to arrange with all of my friends to, to go out. And I need to be that bubbly person when we're out and about. And I was constantly comparing that person that was in a really low place to the old me. Now, of course, the difficult there, the difficulty there is when you're struggling with depression, anxiety, any mental illness, mental health challenge, doing the smallest of tasks is difficult, right? So going for an hour in the gym is, is, is almost like climbing a mountain for a lot of people because 
they're struggling to even get out of bed in the mornings. You know, just just managing to to get out of bed in the morning sometimes when you are really struggling is difficult. So the advice that I always give to people is if you get out of bed in the mornings when you're in that place, amazing. Reward yourself for that. Because if we don't reward ourselves for it and we beat ourselves up for not doing that hour workout in the gym, that beating of ourselves up gets us deeper into that hole and it makes it harder to get out of bed the next day as well. So instead, it's that constant positivity loop in a way and trying to be optimistic and knowing that, oh, wow, you know, I didn't I didn't go for that hour's run today. But what I did do is I got out of bed. I made myself breakfast. I went for a sort of 10 minute walk um, and then I chilled for the rest of the day. You know, it's not the most perfect day. It's not the old Paul that I wish I was, but I've done some stuff today that I'm proud of. And I think with anxiety and social anxiety, it's the same. You know, it's easy to beat yourself up because you haven't spent five hours at the social event that you promised your friends. You know, you might have gone out to a social event and then after about an hour or two, you're feeling really, really anxious and you you say, I've got to go, I've got to go. This this has come up. And and now you're home and you're beating yourself up. Why couldn't I just stay there for the time that I said I would? I'm going to miss this out. I'm going to miss out on this. I'm going to miss out on this. But instead, you know, try and flip that and, and actually say, you know, I'm grateful that I made it. You know, I, I can celebrate the fact that I went there. I made it there for an hour. I, I got out of the house. I got myself dressed. I saw my friends. So, so I'm going to focus on that rather than not focusing on what I didn't do. And I think it takes time, but those constant affirmations of you making progress keeps you on that track to make more progress. When we're not making, when we're making progress, but then we're affirming ourselves that we're not, we're, we're stepping back. And I think it's affirming to ourselves constantly that we are making progress at the same time. And then the final tip, guys, number five, and this is the big mistake that everyone makes when it comes to social anxiety is knowing that you can't ignore it. It's easier to say with social anxiety that it's going to get easier with time or, you know, just give me a week or two and I'll be fine after that. But, you know, for many people, it's only going to get worse. You wouldn't ignore a physical illness causing you a lot of distress for long. So don't ignore a mental illness. Right. And, and, so many occasions, myself included, when I've really, really been struggling, I've just said to myself, this will pass, this will go. And, um, you know, if I distract myself with this, or if I go and buy myself a nice jacket, so when I go out, I feel a little bit more confident, you know, the social anxiety is going to disappear. But social anxiety just does not disappear for a lot of people. It does not always get easier with time. So what I would say with that is know that you can't ignore it. If it's situations that you have to look into, um, you have to try and deal with it. And I think this is one thing that we're trying to push with every mind at work and just the work that I do in general personally is, again, that proactive approach. Don't react when things get worse. Proactively manage it. And, and know that it's not weak for you to do something about your social anxiety right now when it's okay than rather waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and hoping that it goes away and then reacting when it's at a really, really hard point to deal with. So knowing that you can't ignore it and knowing that you have to do something about it means that, you know, you might start putting yourself on that, um, you know, journey of, of being able to deal with it as well. And I think that's the biggest mistake that we make with social anxiety and also just mental health in general is, is you can't ignore it. It doesn't disappear. Um, we have to proactively try to manage it as much as we possibly can. I also want to hear some of your opinions, guys. What helps you with social anxiety? So, so use the chat box. What helps you improve your social anxiety? Um, I think for me, a couple of things that I wanted to share was was journaling and planning. I, I'm very much one who, if I'm worried about a certain situation, I want to try and plan it out in my mind. And I want to know if I can control the controllables. So I know that I can't control everything. And I think a lot of that was a lot down to my social anxiety as well, of wanting to control everything. But I know that I can't control everything. But what I can control is 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 some of it. 
and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to journal. I'm going to write how I'm feeling. And at the same time, I might plan out certain situations that might arise and how I'm going to deal with them. So then that gives me the confidence to be able to enter that social situation with a little bit of more control. And that gives me a bit of confidence as well. So I don't know if any of that works for you guys as well, but for me, journaling and planning helps a lot. I'm wary that my coffee's getting cold to two seconds. Coffee's not very good for social anxiety. Either. Mindfulness and breathing. Um, I think it was Katie that mentioned breathing. And I think breathing is so important. Like for me, if I'm in a social situation, it doesn't happen as much as it used to, but I'm, I am feeling anxious. I think it's just that that breathing technique, reminding ourselves that our, our breath is there. And for me, what works well is like a four, two, six. And again, there's a, there's a, um, a graphic in the app about it. And we're actually adding a meditation to it as well, but it's just kind of breathing in for four, holding for two and out for six. Sometimes I'll breathe in for four, hold for two and out for eight. Other people like breathe box breathing, which is in for four, hold for four, out for four, in for four and you kind of just imagine a box and and again that kind of it doesn't matter what technique you use i think the key thing is is bringing your attention to your breath which calms down your mind it brings your attention away from what's around you and, and everything that you're experiencing and it allows you to calm down and it allows you to stay centered as well and and i think breathing is is often underutilized a lot uh, grounding techniques is very similar to that as well. A lot of CBT or NLP talk a lot about grounding techniques and, and using grounding techniques if we are in those situations where we do feel socially anxious. Um, and, and that might be something that you want to look into as well. I think knowing and addressing your triggers is key. So again, when it comes to anxiety and social anxiety, what is it that makes you socially anxious? As I said, social anxiety is a huge term. So what is it that personally makes you socially anxious? And when you know those and maybe the how socially anxious you feel in those situations and you know those triggers, you can start to address them a little bit more. You know, trying to trying to tackle social anxiety as a whole is very difficult. And of course, it's overwhelming. But actually sitting there and, and me saying to myself, OK, I'm actually quite socially anxious in groups of, of you know, over 10 people. Or I'm socially anxious when I'm away from work on my own of walking into a restaurant and sitting down and, and having food on my own. So, so now I can start to look at those. I can start to say, okay, how am I going to manage this one? So the first one, I've obviously been socially anxious in groups of over 10 people. You know, for me, I might want to put myself in that situation. And, and, and that's the way that I personally like to deal with it. Put myself in that situation, feel the fear and do it anyway. Use breathing techniques if I am feeling socially anxious. So, so I might have to force myself to go into these situations of 10 people and over. Um, going to a restaurant on my own when I'm away from work, you know, I might want to go to a local restaurant on my own. Or actually, I personally would probably want to travel an hour away so no one there knows me. Excuse the kids. Um, no one there knows me. And I would probably just jump into maybe, I don't know, to start with like a fast food restaurant. And then and then I would maybe work my way up to kind of eating out somewhere on my own as well. So I think it's knowing those triggers and addressing them personally. And then the final one before I come to your points is understanding the why. When I look back, a lot of my social anxiety stemmed from, again, like I said, a lack of self-esteem, but at the same time, wearing that mask of not wanting anyone to, to know how I was personally feeling. So almost in a way, it was an exhaustion and worrying what people thought of me because I didn't want them to see what was going on in my mind. Now, what I mean by that is obviously, this was at a time when I wasn't really dealing with my dad's suicide. This was at a time when 
I was really struggling with depression, anxiety. This was at a time when I didn't feel very good. And this was at a time where I just wasn't open to talking about how I felt. I didn't feel comfortable to. So what really helped me was that therapy with Anne and her getting to the root cause of why and us addressing those those reasons, us addressing my dad's suicide, us addressing the feelings I had around that, us addressing, you know, the trauma that come with that. And and when we kind of and when I started to work through the why, what I started to realize was actually a lot of that social anxiety started to lift. So um, I think from a short answer of that is I think therapy is so, so important to understand the root causes of why that social anxiety exists as well. But that's, again, my own personal kind of opinions on it as well. Helen says exercise makes you feel good and better about yourself and talking to family and friends. Yeah, I think just that kind of proactive approach to mental health again. Like I went for a run this morning and I do feel a little bit more confident to maybe go out and, you know, engage. But if you're not looking after your mental health in general, exercising, prioritizing self-care, it can, of course, make us not feel very good about ourselves too. Jess, who works for us, Jess Robson, she she also started an initiative called Run Talk Run. And um, Jess does amazing stuff. She's also in the app sharing her own story. And Run Talk Run is a, a running group for um, people that want to come. And, you know, it's there to run. It's a short 5K. It's not about speed. It's not about PBs. It's there. And at the same time, they encourage you to talk about how you feel as well and talk about mental health. And I think it's an amazing initiative. And and one thing that she says is, is really Run Talk Run isn't about those short, quick wins. It's about knowing that it's a long-term strategy for you to to talk about your mental health and to feel better as well. So I definitely think exercise is there and it's, it's key for mental health. Um, Caroline says planning, focusing on what I do know. Also love grounding techniques. Um, Caroline, what grounding techniques do you use? Again, I'm not 100%. Um, you know, personally, I've never really used grounding techniques, but I know a lot of people talk a lot about them. So I wanted to include them. So if you can share that, would be great. I know what my triggers are. Also learning to say no when I need to rest. I love that one. Learning to say no is great. Um, thanks to one of these webinars I knew about and was able to use breath work last week successfully. Janine, awesome. It's good stuff. Yeah, I think breath work is so, so important and, and we often underutilize it. I think I, I don't know 100%, but I believe when you're, when you're, um, so when you're, if you look at monks, 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 whatever you want to call them, um, people, the guys who wear orange robes, right? You know what I mean? Um, my speech impediment is kicking in and, when you're young, I think for the first year of their education, so when they're, when they're tiny, I think the first thing that they use, the first thing that they teach them is breathing techniques. And I think it's like a whole year of them being four or five, just learning breathing techniques and, you know, how that's important. And I don't think that we really get taught that here in, in the Western world, right? We don't really get taught that, especially in the UK. I think, you know, parents might laugh teachers out the door if they say oh you know we've spent an hour or two hours today teaching your kids breathing techniques you know i'd say you know so i would very I'd, I'd like it i'd be encouraging of it but at the same time i think a lot of parents still have that very academic mindset when it comes to to school and you know i think i think breathing techniques is something that's very underutilized and there's a big emphasis on mindfulness now which is great but for me you know i can't i cannot i cannot recommend it enough just a couple of minutes or just a couple of deeper breaths or just a couple of, I'm going to just move away from this right now. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to do sort of, you know, five or 10 deep breaths, box breathing. And, and, and straight afterwards, you know, I just feel calmer. I feel completely different. And, and of course, you know, that isn't going to make everything disappear and go away, but it's a really, really useful technique to use. 
Um, how would you recommend dealing with the feelings of guilt if you aren't able to go to a particular event or not able to engage fully? Good question. And very hard for me because I'm an empath and I do worry about what everyone else, um, everyone else's opinions. And I'm a people pleaser. But I would just say from my experience of that Nancy, it's again coming back to that worried about other people's opinions. A lot of that guilt will come because we are trying to appease others. You know, I'm guessing if we don't go to a social event, we feel guilty because we worry about that person maybe feeling let down or maybe, you know, it's someone's birthday and we haven't been there. And now we obviously feel guilty for that. And I think it's just not being so hard on yourself. Again, realizing that social anxiety is, is a disorder. And, and at the same time, it's, it's knowing that that other person's opinion, whether they like it or not, we cannot control, right? Again, we cannot control that. So I think for me, what I've learned over the, over the, over the years is that, is that guilt will typically come because I'm worried about what people think of me for not attending that social event. But also at the same time, I now realize that that's un- incontrollable. I can't control that. You know, that person has their own journey. That person's going to deal with it in their own way. And, and I can't control that. So all I can do is put myself first and, and manage that. Um, I usually look for four things that I see, four things that I hear, four things that I can smell. I like that. Also, if I feel panic levels rising and in enclosed space, count the corners of a room, let the panic pass. I like that. So Caroline, it's, it's very much as obviously grounding is, is very, I'm guessing very similar to kind of like, um, or I like to call it being centered and then bringing yourself to that kind of centered state in a way and using breathing techniques as a way of focusing that. But at the same time, as you said, looking at what you can see, what you can hear and what you can smell. I like that. And I think, again, I've spoken about this before, but it really is like anxiety for me is very much my mind drifting away in the future. And depression was very much about me drifting away into the past of what I couldn't control and what I could have done. And, and I talk about Eckhart Tolle a lot, but he talks about the power of now. And, and I think, you know, a grounding technique, Helen, of what you've just said, of what you can smell, what you can see and what you can hear is very much what he talks about as well. It's bringing yourself to that now moment. So your mind isn't sort of drifting off to the future and causing a lot of panic and anxiety as well. You're bringing yourself back to the now. What can I do now in this moment? And then that obviously starts to, you know, help you with that anxiety and that panic too. Helen says, I'm an empath too. Heeding that term and, and looking into what it means has really helped me understand myself here. And so, yeah, there's a good book actually just quickly on that. Um, Helen, that I've been listening to on Audible. I think I shared it actually, which is um, Empath, a complete guide. This one here, Empath, a complete guide to understanding yourself and developing your gift. So I think that was it was really good. I'm about halfway through it, but it's good. It talks about empaths and and the skill of being an empath, but at the same time the downfall, and and how it can be very damaging for us as well. So um, I think it's as you say, really understanding it as well. But yeah, hopefully this has been helpful, and you will get a copy of the replay that should be emailed out to you as well if you want to go back to it. Um, but guys, really appreciate you taking the time out again to take this webinar and really looking forward to seeing you hopefully next weekend, next week as well. Same time, Tuesday at 1 p.m. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your week and I'll speak to you very, very soon.